Hey there, Ruby fans! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux. Tonight we are going to be talking about Ruby Volume 7, Episode 6, A Night Off. But it's not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've got a lot of feelings to, to sort through this week. I'm your host, Megan Salinas, and with me, as always, is a group of wonderful, fantastic hosts. With me in the room is the fantastic Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. Calling in from Los Angeles is the lovely Stacy Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. And calling in from all the way across the country is the wonderful Mark B. Donica. It's me. <laughs> it is you. That's all, I, that's all I got. I think we all could use a night off. So this this episode was gonna supposed to be very cathartic. And then we <laughs> all went, nope, how like life. Nobody gets a <laughs> night off. You start in with It's Me, and you give me immediate Five Nights at Freddy's flashbacks, so uh, thanks, but no thanks? I'm going to start this discussion off by yelling and screaming about how I demand a recount. Uh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, this is going to be a fun one to talk about. A little housekeeping at at the top of the show. I want to go ahead and apologize to everybody in advance. My voice is still a little bit on the outs. So I have myself a hot toddy with me, um, mostly for my throat, but also a little bit for the booze, um, (laughs) given what we're talking about tonight. And uh, we we talked about this off mic a little bit, but normally we like to keep political discussions kind of, we kind of like to keep real world politics out of our show unless it directly relates to the discussion at hand. And given the overt parallels between this episode and real world events, we are going to be talking about real world politics Um, and If that bothers you, I'm not going to say that maybe this isn't the episode for you. I'm actually going to do the opposite. I would like to invite you to sit down and please listen to us because if you were one of the people that was really happy about the 2016 election, I would invite you to be to I would invite you to keep an open mind and to listen And to ask yourself, look at, you know, the state of the world today, because the day of this recording uh, is the same day that our House of Representatives issued two articles of impeachment to our president. And I want you to ask yourself if this is everything you ever hoped it would be. And if it is, why is that? And if it isn't, why is that? So please keep an open mind. I know everybody likes to stay in their echo chambers. Uh, everybody's guilty of that, but please keep an open mind. And yeah, uh, we, we're going to talk about it. And it's not fun to have to talk about those things, but it's unavoidable. And we have a lot of feelings about it. And so we're going to start go ahead and going ahead and working through that. So, you know, that's not as much fun typically as we, we normally, but there is going to be fun stuff in this episode, we promise. Uh, there, I, I have a lot to talk about once we get to our, over to our shipping shelf, and I have a little surprise for all of you when it comes to our shipping shelf. Um, not really, <laughs> but I have a fun bit. Anyway, um, so let's go ahead and get the ball rolling on this one. How did we all feel in the wake of this episode? For, for me personally, it was very, very, very reminiscent of the end of Volume 3, um, in multiple ways. And I feel like it's very intentionally reminiscent of the end of volume three and the feelings that are evoked 
from the end of that volume. Uh, so how did we feel about this episode? Let's go ahead and start with Mr. Donica. Man, there was some, I mean, with Ruby, we, we, we talk about Ruby in a particular tense various times when we're like, ah, it's Ruby, so we expect this sort of a thing. And as certain events were happening in the story, I suppose you could say certain positive events in the story, there was just an overarching sense of, okay, but when is it all going to pop off? And with in the wake of watching this episode, like um, Saturday was a very, very busy day for me. And, and I, I watched this episode in between two sort of not high pressure situations, but a lot of, of high, um, high aware situations where I had to be very present. And so sort of rekindling how I was feeling at the time, just pressure. This was one of the most, um, tense episodes because for those of us who lived this uh this most previous election and and hearing all the like oh you've got it in the bag or or all of the the dialogue of this and that is just if wow this this is this going to truly be a fantasy series or is this going to be uh a lens looking at the modern world and uh as it was getting closer and closer to the end and Jacques' percentages were getting closer and closer as stuff just kept unfolding. It was just, for me, it was a thought of how bad is this going to get? I 100% concur with that sentiment of like, okay, this is this is where things start to happen. How, yeah. How, you know, are we at the point where uh, it's darkest just before the dawn? Have we gotten to the darkest part yet? And the answer is probably not. No. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> Stacy, how did you feel? Man, this, this episode did so many things so skillfully from the sense of sinking that was so disproportionate to what was happening with, like, the celebration party. Just watching that screen in the background really inspired like just an absolute sense of foreboding and yes i do feel like it was way deeper personally because we have been through that but just so beautifully played off of what was happening in the foreground and the background and i would I would almost call this episode a beautiful bait and switch, except more or less knew what was coming. I'm dying. <laughs> I- <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Nothing like getting 2016 episode flashbacks two weeks in a row. But here we are. Like, I... I'm so mad at this episode. I'm so mad at this episode for being like, here's this thing that you've been waiting for for forever and sticking it in the middle of an episode that is ridiculously anxiety-inducing to the point where it's like, no, I cannot turn my brain off enough to enjoy this because I know what's coming, because I lived what's coming, because I'm still not over what I know is coming. Like, it... it, 
This was a difficult one to watch. It really, really was. Because, again, we lived through this, and we specifically established that, hey, this hacker character is on the side of the CEO who doesn't have two morals to rub together and owns a very large company and wants a political seat for his own gain. Like, you couldn't be more obvious if you tried. The only things that are incongruous are the fucking color schemes of the CEOs. I just, mm, I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of yelling watching this one, especially with the ever-changing vote percentages everywhere. So every time the episode tried to throw me a bone, I stared at it and just went, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. It's going to be bad. Just do it already. And then it was bad. And I'd like to say that I felt better once I knew that it was coming, but no. No, it felt exactly the same. I, I can't wait to see Jean and Oscar and Weiss walking out of the movies to the world being in hell. Because on that night in 2016, we were in a show on another network. And we started the show when things were great. And at the end of the show, when we checked our phones, things were solidly in hell and continued to spiral for the rest of the night. So I've been at the, I'm going to the movies, I don't want to think about it crew. And I just... I don't know how well I'm going to handle these next few episodes while we're dealing with the aftermath of this. I honestly don't know. Having some trouble. It hit very close to home. Yeah! <laughs> oh. It hit very close to home. Um, I had words for this, and now now they've escaped me. And I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I sincerely mean that because... Like, this was an excellent episode. This was a masterclass in suspense building and it the the lighter moments. Because this is a product uh, that has come out in our cultural zeitgeist, the audience is expected to know exactly what's about to go down because, as we've all said, we lived it. And so I feel like that dramatic irony is embedded into this episode and... So you really do feel that suspense and dread building and building and building. And to this episode's credit, it still is executed in a way that was exceedingly surprising because I definitely did not see things going down at that victory party the way they did. Um, so I, I definitely commend this episode, but it does hit very close to home because for me personally, uh, the election of 2016 November 8th, I believe it was, uh, 2016, was one of the most, it wasn't the worst, like, the worst day of my life because nobody died or anything like that, but it is distinctly in my memory one of the most memorably bad days I've ever had in my life. And, like, because of a lot of personal stuff that was going on in addition to the election. So it is a day that is forever seared into my brain. And I think it is for a lot of people as well. So watching this episode and kind of having all of those feelings re-evoked is something that, you know, it's, it is provocative. It, and it's meant to be so. But... What I really like about Ruby in particular and um, just about Rooster Teeth shows in general is there's no such thing necessarily as apolitical art. 
And something that Rooster Teeth has been excellent about, especially in the in the wake of 2016, and we talked about this a lot during our Gen Lockdown show, is overwhelming optimism in the face of overwhelming odds and tragedy and despair. Yeah. And it's so funny that this episode hits so close to home and is so emotionally devastating because if you kind of lean back again on the theme of of the opening theme of this season, it's all about dreaming for a better world and believing in love. And I think that's remarkable in the face of what we're about, of what's about to go down in the narrative. So, okay, enough pontificating. Uh, enough pontificating from me. Um, let's go ahead and get into the nitty gritty of this episode. And structurally speaking, we might be a little all over the place. Again, please forgive us, but uh, let's go ahead and go with it. So we start off in the uh, danger room. Yay, danger room! <laughs> it's so fun getting training stuff, and we get some fun. We get some fun moments. Um, between characters uh, it, that it's a lot of fun seeing them bounce off of each other. What was your favorite danger room moment? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. I really liked Oscar taking the role of like moderator and trainer. And kind He's of so cute, adorable, just slipping into that kind of analysis type role. Because uh, we know he's training hard, too. But he he's also kind of playing up these other strengths. So I appreciated seeing him like with his commentary as everyone whizzed around him. Mark, how about you? Um, I think just the effort in general, like how, speaking of how Ironwood is looking toward everybody really working their asses off. There, there wasn't anything particularly that, that stuck out to me other than, I guess, the mini knight that, uh, that <laughs> Weiss summoned. I thought that was a... I think she's going to use size to her advantage. It doesn't always have to be the biggest and the baddest, but I think ultimately it's going to be being smarter, like on the whole, is outthinking the opponent. The knight stood out to me too, because that was incredibly clever. Like, I think that was also my favorite part. Uh, yeah, I think Weiss gets, uh, if we're giving everybody grades in the danger room. I think Weiss definitely gets A plus and potentially even MVP of this little training moment. But um, yeah, to touch on what Stacy was saying about Oscar, you know, he it's such a fun moment to see him evaluating and being analytical about it, especially because he still hasn't activated his semblance. And it's funny because for a long time, we were speculating about what Jean's semblance would be. And now that Jean's unlocked his semblance and is excelling, now our attention kind of shifts back to Oscar and be like, okay, what's the baby's semblance going to be? <laughs> Your next kid. Uh, so given what we know about Oscar, does anybody have any predictions about what his semblance could be? And will we see it before by the time the season wraps up? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. For some reason, my brain has put Oscar and Baby Yoda from The Mandalorian (laughs) in the same place. Here for this. So Oscar is a force user. I'm calling it now. (laughs) Adorable, must be protected, green, you know. Uh, Stacy? It's so obvious now. How can anything (laughs) else compare? (laughs) Um, Mr. Donica? 
I'm I'm just gonna bat for the fences and say polarity. Oh. <laughs> I imagine the the thing that I see more than his actual semblance is that Jean is going to help him sort of activate it similarly to, well, if for, for Pira, it was Aura, but I think Jean is going to in turn help Oscar with the next level of his training. I really like that theory uh, all, all the way around. We got to get the positivity in somewhere this episode. we find it where we can and um yeah i i don't necessarily gosh semblances are so interesting um i very much feel like it's going to be something along the lines of yeah being able to physically alter the world around him and whether that's with telekinetic ability, it's in my head now. I, I just—it's <laughs> going to be telekinetic abilities. <laughs> um, other potential things: the ability to shut down <coughs> other people's semblances. Mm. Mm. Ooh, yeah, to cut through—that would be interesting. Yeah, to just kind of—it's like having in superhero in superhero media, you occasionally have someone whose power is essentially anti-power anyone around them essentially becomes normal like that's what i want to see i want to see oscar with a power nuke to be able to just shut off people's semblances at will so it'd be like anti-venom Ooh. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of just evening out the playing field like i would love to see that be his thing anti-venom in uh, in spider-man essentially can if you spend enough time around him, if Peter spends enough time around him, nullifies all of his spider abilities. That would be really cool. Um, especially if within that same person is an unending well of magic. Like, <laughs> that's a little not fair to have somebody to be able to turn off your abilities and then just hit you with a wall of magic. That's a little OP and I kind of love it. The baby deserves the best. Let Oscar have this. They'll, they'll delay season eight for balancing issues. <laughs> I'm sure they'll patch that at some point. Ooh, nice Ruby pun. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to need you all to stop it with the jokes. Stop making you me laugh. You made that one. That was all you. You needed. You guys need to lock it up. And I'm looking specifically over at you, Mr. Donica. I'm looking in the direction of Florida. I'm going to need you to lock it up with these goofs. Oh, is Florida that way? <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> None of you will be happy until I'm dead. <laughs> Jesus, that's morbid. <sighs> but I'll have died with a smile, so it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and talk about um, yeah, Ironwood. He seems to be uh, kind of frustrated either way with the results of the election. But as uh, as Yang points out, better Robin than Jacques. And yeah, 100%, there's hands down, Mantle, uh, Atlas, there's only one clear choice here. The other one's a monster. Why would you pick anything else? Um, hashtag capitalism. Mm. Mm, and also hashtag hack the vote. Ugh. 
Ironwood recognizes that no matter what, it's going to be a new day in the morning. So he wants all of our boys and girls to go and take the night off and enjoy themselves. And so we get uh, everybody. So we get to split the party. Uh, Blake and Yang decide to go off to a dance club with Team Funky. Uh, Ruby, Nora and Ren decide to head to uh, Robin's victory party. Uh, Go hang out with Penny and Mero. All that stuff fun stuff and Oscar and uh, Oscar Jean and Weiss decide to go to the movies now which group would you go with Katie movies also I have to say that the delivery hey we're gonna go to the movies anyway yeah okay <laughs> like that 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 made me very happy Stacy that was precious and I would also have gone to the movies <laughs> let me sit in a dark theater and not think for a while until a grim bursts through the screen. <laughs> wow, this 3D is looking really good. Damn, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, I guess you would also go to the movies. Like, I guess it would also depend on what club they were going to, like what type of a club they were going to. But my initial instinct was, yeah, the movies. And and to sort of follow up on the discussion we had last week about Weiss and Jean, I think Jean's reaction to Weiss's going with them is an indicator of where his mind is on the subject of Weiss and romantic feelings. Mark, mm-hmm. Mark, what are He's are you stepping over towards the shipping? No, shelf? I'm actually I'm standing vehemently in conspiracy <laughs> corner and I being like, "Cassie, y'all were wrong." I think he was agreeing with my point last week that we haven't really seen any romantic development between the two. <laughs> I shared that belief last week, too. Discussing lack of romance. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, But yeah, I I definitely go to the movies, too. Uh, I I like going out to dance clubs. But yeah, it would usually not the ones where you where, as Yang indicates, you can't hear other people around you, which is a selling point for her when it comes to Team Funky. Uh, definitely a detractor for me. I wouldn't, that is not the type of club I enjoy. Um, but yeah, so I did want to point out that there's been a lot of, um, kind of theory talk. Mark, if you don't mind, I'm going to scooch on over to Conspiracy Corner as well. There's been a lot of theory talk about Nora, uh, this volume. And particularly in relation to her backstory, because Backstory-wise, we know that she ended up in Ren's hometown, but we don't know anything about her prior to that. We know that the Winter Maiden is, you know, her her name is Freya, I believe is that that's correct, uh, which is a direct reference to uh, Norse mythology, like Nora, because Nora is our Thor, basically, so... There have been a lot of people who have been kind of speculating that Nora's actually from Mantle and potentially has still has family here. Um, there have been a few theories that maybe she's related to Freya, that maybe she was originally from Mantle before she became an orphan. I don't know. What do you do you guys happen to think that um, Nora might be from Mantle, and that's one of the reasons why she's being so supportive of Robin and Robin's kind of mission statement of wanting to do what's best for Mantle. Let's go ahead and start with Katie. 
I'm sorry, I was looking up the etymology of Freya to see if that stood up, and I missed the question. Oh, just do you think there's any weight to that theory? The theory that she, yeah, maybe. I don't, again, we have virtually nothing about her, so there's weight to almost any theory. Stacy, what about you? I don't think it necessarily has to be mantle, but I think that that kind of society, that kind of lifestyle, like that that city setting is familiar and very deeply personal to her. I think the plights of the people of Mantle strike a deep personal co- um, chord, whether or not it was Mantle she was from or a place that was similar. Yeah, the, the struggle of the haves versus the have-nots. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mark? Yeah, I, I agree with Stacy on this one. It seems a little bit more of an indirect, and there's no like direct tie between Freya and Thor. They're just both people in Norse mythology and gods. They're both members of the Pantheon, but in terms of direct relation, as far as I can recall, there really, there isn't one, but um, I, there's a lot that I've, I've been saying it and you can all attest to this. I've been saying it for seasons is that Nora hasn't, we haven't seen Nora, talk about what happened and we finally get a little bit tonight but it wasn't it was a good start and i think the at the very least the rest of the season is going to help sort of establish where nora's mind space is i think that's a really good point uh because she is being pretty vocal about how she feels about you know supporting robin and about whether or not there's a possibility that Salem can be defeated. Um, there's this really interesting beat where, you know, Nora is the one that points out maybe Oz asked the wrong question. You know, Oz was the one that was told that he couldn't destroy Salem. Maybe somebody else could. There's there's a very specific beat where Nora delivers that line while looking at Ruby and it's it's so fascinating seeing Nora's like kind of intuition looking at Ruby when Ruby doesn't necessarily see that within herself or if she does she understands kind of like the the weight of that responsibility because throughout a good chunk up until they they start hanging out with Penny uh Ruby's pretty crestfallen the entire time uh, they're hanging out first with this, you know, the dilemma with Robin and the dilemma with what to divulge to Ironwood and yeah, and then immediately going into the party and having the couple you're with starting to fight <laughs> and, and, you know, just kind of having to deal with all of that before shit hits the fan. So it's it's hard to see a character who's filled with so much light and so much goodness be so downtrodden because of the over you know it's it's very reminiscent of when the apathy were running around last volume um but i do since i uh since i mentioned the couple starting to fight uh we have uh mark i hope you don't mind but we are going to move on over to the shipping shelf well so here's the thing is this is this is sort of a thing that i've been talking about their relationship has been a piece of written material for since the beginning of the of the season uh, not the season of the show so this isn't 
necessarily shipping to me. This is stuff that's happening as a part of the show. It's canon shipping. Yeah. It's a specific subset, but yes, it is indeed shipping. Yay, canon shipping! Woo! <laughs> and, okay, so what I wanted to say about the shipping shelf, since uh, it was getting a little crowded, all of us sitting onto that shelf, I hope you guys don't mind, but I did a little redecorating. The shipping shelf is now a loft! Woo! All right. Now there's wait, room for wait, everyone. Wait. Is it the love loft? <gasps> ah, crap. Now it is. Oh. I was, I was going to say, not nah, doesn't work. There's no alliteration. Found it. I, we upgraded. <sighs> I got more room down here in the bar. I mean, conspiracy corner. Oh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Let's be real. Uh, so who would like to join me on the love loft? <laughs> I've been here the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I think I live up here now. Sorry, guys. So with that, I just imagine like a uh, uh, super, like, what was it? The homemade extreme homemade home remodel, whatever those shows are. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. move that bus. And you're like, Stacy was standing next to you as you were revealing it. But as you reveal it, she's already like inside. <laughs> <laughs> I made myself comfortable before we had a name. Stacy just teleports and sticks her head out the window. Hello. I've picked this room. <laughs> I really like what you've done with the place. <laughs> I live here. There's, <laughs> there's more seating else? and more room for ships. We've got lots of fancy chairs and beanbag chairs. Oh, yes. All right. So to get back to it. And yeah, I yeah. So, Mark, I apologize. I hope you don't mind that I redecorated the whole room. Yay. Not the whole damn room. Well, I left most of your corner untouched. I did. I did uh. steal a couple bottles of booze. It's all in boxes. I thought we just like literally added another level to this space. That's what a loft is. Indeed. The conspiracy corner is now the conspiracy cove because it's got more than one corner. And the love loft is a full thing unto itself. You just have to go up the stairs. Let love lift you higher. By the time we're done with this volume of Ruby, we're going to have a clue style mansion. (laughs) It's going to be beautiful. I kind of want a Knives Out style mansion with all the like hidden staircases and shit. We will have a Knives Out style mansion. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so yes, let's talk about some canon shipping because uh, kind of what becomes a little bit of a point of contention is Nora and Ren discussing Blake and Yang and the status of their relationship. And it's one of those couple fights where they're talking about a different set of people, but they're obviously not talking about those people. They're talking about themselves. And poor Ruby, when you're in that situation of like, oh, this uh, I'm with two people and I'm caught in the middle of an argument. Time for me to bail. Bye. Um, we've all been, I think, in that situation before. Um, but here, yeah, this is this is the moment where not only is the narrative basically making it explicit that Blake and Yang have been through so much together that it's probably more. And again, this is me leaning in and going like, okay, we're getting there. Make it canon by the end of the volume. Pretty, pretty, please. And that we seem to be heading in that direction. But uh, Ren and Nora, you know, we've been 
ever since volume four, when they revisited their past and they're on that helicarrier with, you know, and they ended up holding hands as they're making their way uh, to Haven Academy, we haven't really circled back on their relationship since then. And that was such a pivotal moment. And we've had a lot of discussions with the talent as well, talking about how, like, this is, it's clearly there. It doesn't necessarily need to be spoken. But there's been a lot going on in the narrative to make Nora potentially a little insecure. Maybe it is just seeing um, the state of mantle and, you know, the the new normal that they're getting accustomed to working with the Aesops and everything like that. Nora needs to hear it, and Ren's never been good with words. And that's when we get the moment where she's like, okay, I'm done talking then. And they kiss, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful. And I know that I know that it's ultimately that the good part doesn't last all that long because it's it precedes everything going to hell. But this was one nice moment before the world caught on fire. So what did we all think of this? Since uh, canon shipping is the only shipping you really like to discuss, <laughs> let's go ahead and start with you, Mark. So I'm going to admit, and I have admitted before, my wife and I have been talking about this episode previously, but I have been Ren in this situation. I'm not saying that he did the right thing at all, but I'm uh, I'm happy that they got this expression out there. Um, but I do have the sense of what Ren is going to do next because he's been talking about sort of duty. He's been talking about staying vigilant, like not wanting to be out and wanting to be working and and all of this stuff. And I have a feeling that moving forward, or at least in the very near future, Ren's going to blame Nora for taking his attention off of the scene where he could have saved more people. And ultimately at, at the end of it, he'll, he'll either he'll, he'll turn inward and be like, no, it wasn't you. Like there's a lot of other things going on. Eventually he'll, he'll think better of it. But I think in the short term, just as soon as they came together, quote unquote, confirmed in Facebook official, they're going to be apart. And uh, it, it will be the first time that we've seen it ever in the show. So uh, I I think that Nora is going to go through a pretty big change and Ren is going to stay the same most of the time until he, he decides what he has to do. And I hope I'll say that I hope that he comes out of it a better person and a little bit more acknowledging of Nora's feelings and reciprocates a little bit more. See, this is why we don't let Mark in the love loft. He ruins things. <laughs> what's what's ruining? <laughs> I I do think you have I do think you have a really good point, honestly. Es- especially since in the lead up to that kiss, we had such good dialogue and we had a really good look at what their opposing viewpoints were. Nora getting really tired of waiting and Ren trying to find a time when life isn't completely cuckoo bananas in order to actually talk about it. What Ren doesn't realize is that life is never not completely cuckoo bananas. And if you're going to do something, you have to make the time to do it. And so I appreciate that we do kind of get that insight into their viewpoint on this relationship and how it should be handled. And so 
Yeah, it's a good theory. I'm God, I'm hoping that's not the case because that's heartbreaking on top of literally everything else, but it's a good solid theory. In terms of me, I'm again, I'm so mad that this happened during this episode when I was in a constant anxiety state watching those percentages on the screen change, I couldn't enjoy it. It was one of those, "Oh, it happened." Well, we know we're fucked anyway. Let's let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with it. We know we're fucked. Like, I couldn't actually enjoy it. And I'm really mad about that. Stacy, I'm actually 100% with Mark on this. My, <laughs> my first thought towards the end of this episode concerning Ren and Nora was, oh God, now all Ren is thinking is we kissed and people died. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's the end. Men. Like, Hell of a kiss. It's men. See, I mean, absolutely there will be a horrific fallout after this. I I don't think we will we will see happy Renora for a while. As sad as that makes me. Mark, when when you postulated that theory, my jaw literally dropped. And then Stacy, when you agreed with him, I clutched my non-existent pearls. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that that is exactly what I thought too. And She's still doing it. And 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 to be fair, like we're not we're not trying to divide the to divide the room here, but you've got two married people in long-term relationships on one half and you've got <laughs> No, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to stir anything up, but I'm just saying What are you trying to say, Mr. Yeah, Donica? <laughs> Listen, I preface the whole thing by saying I've been read. <laughs> And I can feel my wife's daggers burrowing through the wall. So, <laughs> so damn, it, Mark. This this comes from a I know exactly how he's feeling sort of a place. This isn't the type of reel you thought you were going to get this episode, was it? Now, hold on, let me let me just dial it back a little bit and be happy for a second because I was genuinely like thrilled yeah, for a same. while when this happened. Then I remembered where I was. it could only last so long we all remembered we're not allowed to have nice things (laughs) yeah eddie yeah no honestly you guys are right and anybody who's been in any type of relationship can understand that sort of miscommunication or like that moment where things are really really good and then something that has nothing to do with you guys or your relationship happens like in the real world and all of a sudden that really really good moment is gone like anybody who's been in a relationship knows how that feels so this isn't exclusively a married versus single thing yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) but no you guys definitely have um the just being in committed relationships at the moment you guys definitely have a leg up on that particular front Speaking of real life ruining things, let's uh, let's talk about the murders. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we get to that, before we get to our next topic, I do want to take a moment to thank everybody who's uh, been listening to our show, everybody who's taken the time to go to iTunes to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you, and it is uh, it's one of the best ways you can help us out. It helps make us more searchable on our new platform, and we always like to give shout-outs to people who go to iTunes and leave a comment. We don't have any new ones this week, but there have been people 
who have been spreading the word. So I wanted to take a quick second to thank a few people on Twitter. Uh, wanted to thank at No Room Senpai uh, for, for shouting us out on Twitter and saying that they couldn't wait to hear what we had to say about this episode in particular. And we want, also wanted to thank at Unicorn of War and at That Kaito Dan. Those guys are fellow Ruby tubers and they gave us shout outs on their social media on Twitter. And it means a lot that the community is spreading the word about us. And if you guys haven't checked out their stuff, go check out their stuff. Those guys are fantastic. So thank you to everybody who, even if you don't listen on iTunes, if you're spreading the word on social media, it really does mean a lot to us. And if you're interested in following us on social media, uh, definitely check out our Twitter at The Rooster Team. And there are other ways you can interact with us. You can definitely go to Discord and join our community there. Share your theories and fan art. It is such a such a fun group and we mentioned welcome to veil earlier it like earlier this week we had uh some discussions with people on our discord about welcome to veil and it was so so fun so guys it's a fun community again you can share your ruby theories you can share your red versus blue theories genlock all sorts of fun stuff there's um like positive affirmational uh hashtags on there it's it's really good it's a good time filled with a lot of fun people there are other ways you can support us too uh you can definitely support us on anchor um with a monthly donation that helps us it helps give us the time to sit down and record these episodes and makes it easier for us to find time to write episodes of welcome to veil go to our t public store where you can buy merch of the silly things that we say the holidays are right around the corner so if you're looking for some fun gifts for the rooster teeth fan in your life or the rooster team fan in your life definitely hit up our t public um so yeah but ultimately we just wanted to say thank you to everybody who takes the time to listen uh whatever your level of involvement in our community it doesn't matter we love you guys you guys are the best thank you so so much all right let's get back to it um before we get to the murdering before we get to the murder we do spend a little bit of time with uh with penny and with marrow and it's really, it's a really nice moment before it becomes kind of uncomfortable. Um, for I don't know why everybody gets the night off except Marrow. Like, you know why? <laughs> yeah, he definitely probably drew the short straw. Um, but I don't think there were straws. I think he just got assigned. Like. Well, you know, Elm and Vine are off doing their thing, and Hair already ran out, and Clover's got that hot date with Crow, so, uh, sorry, you're on duty. Did we ever find out if the, if the, the Aesops had the night off, too? No, I don't think we did. Like, it was probably just his assignment. Look, as far as I'm concerned, Clover has a hot date with Crow, and you will not disabuse me of that. <laughs> Why tonight, though? Why not? Ah, okay. <laughs> As right. I kill Megan in the background. All right, we need to get down from the, the lover's loft real quick. I refuse. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we have this interaction between the Happy Huntresses and the Ace Ops. And obviously from the previous episode, we know that things haven't necessarily been on the best terms between the two groups. Um... But I don't 
know. They're like, it's funny because they're ultimately all working towards the same goal, but the ways they're going about it are vastly different. And it's so interesting the the way that Robin is trying to appeal to Marrow because one of the things she insists on is that she's trying to make things better for the Faunus as well and as though she can kind of win him over that way. And he's like, that's cool. The law is still the law. You're still going to do this all above the book, right? And Robin going, yep, everything I've done is super, super legal and no one can prove otherwise. (laughs) It's only illegal if you get caught. Um, Ultimately, I feel like with what transpires later in the night, this is basic, it's going to basically lead to Robin kind of abandoning any sort of pretense that she's a law-abiding citizen and is ultimately going to be like, hey, this might be against the law, but it's what's right. It's what's just. Um, But I don't know. Maybe she's, maybe she's more aware of the situation than we think. I don't know. Do you guys think that Robin is ultimately just going to abandon law and order completely? Or do you think that because of this interaction and the way the night transpires, that she actually is kind of more aware and is willing to talk? Uh, Let's go ahead and start with Stacey. Honestly, I do think that she is a little more savvy than kind of the mistrust that was really played up towards the end of this episode. Where, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. We don't, well, we know what's going on. But to the general public, it looks like she's been betrayed. And I don't really see her going, like, becoming a big batter or becoming an opposing force. At least not for a lengthy period of time. I do think that she'll kind of cotton on that something is happening and there's... We're, Open communication, everybody. It's really good for us. That's definitely Nora's stance on things. Well, uh, Katie, what do you think? I think that Robin is definitely savvy enough to know with her sta- with her uh, standing as a public figure, if she goes rogue, things will get very bad very fast because other people are going to take that as permission to do whatever the hell they want. Like, well, if Robin, who's fighting for us and whatever, is breaking the law to do it, then, hey, why shouldn't we? And that directly contrasts with the interview that we started the episode with where someone was asking her about the riots and she said she did not condone rioting. She understands how people are upset, but she really wants people to take that to the ballot box and to vote and to really stick together. And we get a little bit more of that in her speech before everything goes to hell. Individually, we're strong. Together, we are unstoppable. So... I don't think she's going to go completely lawless on this one. I think we may step up acts of civil disobedience. And I'm trying to remember what it's called, where there's stupid laws and you follow them so rigidly, it becomes an inconvenience for everyone else. It's I think it's called malicious compliance. <laughs> no, it's, it's a thing. 
My favorite example of malicious compliance is someone getting ticketed for not riding their bike in the bike lane, despite the fact that there's all sorts of garbage cans and cars in the bike lane. So he just crashes into every single obstacle, including the police car of the cop that ticketed him for not riding his bike in the bike lane. So it's it's that sort of thing. It's going out of your way to follow a law to prove how completely pants-on-head stupid that law actually is. And so I can see civil disobedience, I can see malicious compliance, I can see a lot of rallying and speeches and trying to keep the people together because, obviously, things falling apart like this is not what she wants. Like, I do think she honestly does want what's best for people, and I don't think she's going to go completely lawless to get it. I think she's smarter than that. Mark? So, I think that she saw everything. Ooh. We're dealing with a Robin Hood analog, and one of Robin's most sort of, I guess, advertised feats other than the rob to the rich and give to the poor is his archery skills. And what do you need for Archer? You need a keen eye. What if her semblance is something related to sight that gives her, for people who know what I'm saying, true sight. And she could see or she has dark or she has dark vision. Maybe she's a faunus and we don't know it. So she can see in the dark. But there's I think that she there's more happening than she's letting on. And with the the fracas and the commotion she just wanted to make sure that everybody that she could make sure is all right was all right so i think that she saw Tyrion and tried to do as much as she could but with how the camera was we couldn't see what she she was trying to make sure that the huntresses were safe and etc cetera, etc cetera. um but i think ultimately she's going to go up against Jacques and whoever tends to follow her in that assailing of Schneeduss Corpo, I think she's going to be able to better trust those people. Not inherently, but just be like, okay, if we're all in this together, (laughs) then it seems like it seems like we're all on the same team. Mark, I'm going to hop back into Conspiracy Corner real quick, pour myself uh, a quick shot, take the shot, and then yell excitedly, guys, what if Robin is a fox faunus? Uh, Oh my god. I mean, that'd be pretty on the nose. (laughs) Oh. And her her hair is hiding her ears. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. I love it. Nobody can convince me otherwise until proven... Uh, until proven one way or another. If we get a mouse detective faunus, <laughs> then I think it's definitely in the realm of uh, possibility. Fingers crossed. I hope so. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, I I like what you guys were saying. I think since, again, this whole episode is reliant on the real world experience of people who lived through the 2016 election, I think we're going to be seeing... Um, other similar parallels in terms of, you know, the Schneedust Corporation uh, and potentially even the entire council because the the council itself was described as weak. So I could definitely see the entire council as a whole bending to Jacques and having them basically say that things that aren't true are true. And, you know, that has n- they won't refer to it as such but like the existence of alternative facts you know 
and how uh, basic, basically an assault on reality <laughs> is what um, is what we might be seeing. And the best way to combat that is by believing, you know, again, tying back to that opening is believing in love and never, never ceasing to stride for things to get better because that's what we have to do. And yeah, whether that's acts of civil disobedience or um, using the law to your advantage, uh, things like that. Or occasionally, you know, in the case of Robin Hood, choosing what laws not to obey. Um, and whether, you know, because we, we've seen a lot of civil disobedience uh, in the real world and a lot of people getting arrested for protests um, and things like that. So I'm sure things like that will escalate as far as Mantle goes. But I have to concur. I think Robin's smart. And something that's worth noting is that Ruby cried out before the lights went out. And so I feel like Robin knows Penny well enough to know that this is out of character. And she's smart enough to know that she did have this in the bag. And she's smart enough to know that somebody cried out before the lights went out. And Penny wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary or untoward when the lights were still on. So I feel like Robin's smart enough to know that something isn't quite right here. Whether or not she's going to immediately want to work with Ironwood and company, that's another thing altogether. But ultimately, I think she's smart enough to know that things aren't quite as they seem here. So since we've already sort of started talking about it, let's talk about it. Watson Tyrion. <laughs> Watson Tyrion, you know, basically work together. Watts hacks the election. And... um. It's also potentially possible that he's hacked Penny as well and because there is a moment when Tyrion is engaging in his attack and he disappears from her line of sight. Now, does he or does he not have... Does this... Is this potentially going to lead to a Terminator scenario is what I'm asking here. And if that's the case, why didn't he just make tent... Penny, go rogue here and now. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. Yeah, that's that's exactly why. I think if he can do that, he I think he's working to that, ultimately. And there will be a time where he can take over Penny, but for this, if he could have, he would have. But now that you he's putting out the deep fake, it it just leaves the avenue open for a more public display of something that to be taken out of hand to a, a, a the nth degree of Penny being this uh, terrible person. And I, I think that's the main reason why he didn't do it. Yeah, that was definitely that upload sign at the very end there. Uh, and hit the, the mocap of like the Penny <laughs> avatar he had there. Yeah, I, a deep fake is... The best way to put it. Well done, Mark. Um, Stacy, I don't know. What do you think? I think Watts is in it for the drama. Yeah. And so whether he can hack her right now and chose not to or is going to be able to do it later is potentially just him going, oh, no, we're going to make it look like it's her, but have her like futilely trying to protect herself and prove that she's good and helpful and on the right side. And then 
just as she's, you know, beginning to gain back the trust of some of the key figures, you know, Robin, for example, then flip the switch, take her over, make it dramatic. Mm. Katie? Personally, for me, it's going to hinge on how did he manage to hide Tyrion from her sight in the first place? Is this he got into her sensors somehow? Is this was able to release some sort of frequency? Was Tyrion, did Tyrion have a device on his person that Watts would have been able to tune to Penny's frequency and just hide him? Like, how exactly did this work is my question. And the answer to that is going to answer whether or not I lean into more of a Terminator theory or not. What I'm interested in is... Did we see Tyrion's semblance here? Because when we saw him attack Fiona, it was a one-hit aura break. And we saw that his blades were glowing purple when he hit her. So that's my question. Is that something that he can do? Is it something that works with his weapon like Adam's did? Because he went, she was ready for battle and he went straight through her aura. And I... I don't really believe that the power imbalance would be that big between them. So I'm I'm more focused on like, did we just see his semblance? Did we see a little more of what Tyrion can do? It seems like it. Like I, I got the impression that the more of his aura he puts into sort of the breaking point, the, the stronger of an aura he can break. However... That leaves, however much he sort of dilutes it into that one area, that leaves the rest of him open to attack. That's that's what it seemed like to me after a couple of viewings and conspiracy strolls down Twitter search engine. So it's the difference between stepping on someone's foot while you're wearing tennis shoes and stepping on someone's foot while you're wearing high heels. All of the pressure put in one very specific point. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Anyway. Seems reasonable to me for sure. Um, and can we just drill down on the fact that this is the second time these assholes have used Penny to instill fear and, uh, terror in society? Like, come on, guys. And, you know, that being said, that's the second time. Uh, rule of threes. Oh, poor Penny. Mm. Well, and both times, well... Not quite for my parallel's sake, but when you mentioned that it felt like the end of Volume 3, part of the lead-up to the end of Volume 3 was that bit in the Vital Tournament where Emerald messed with what Yang was seeing and it turned into what looked like an unprovoked attack on Mercury. Here, we have Watts messing with what Penny can see and using the resulting video footage to make it look like an unprovoked attack on Robin extremely similar tactics, slightly different methodology. <sighs> yep, and let's hope it doesn't end up in the same result because I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that this is all happening, not only when an election is happening, but when Ironwood is dead set and devoting so much time and resources to reestablishing communication between the kingdoms. I don't think that's a coincidence. We just need to burn Amity Arena to the ground. That thing brings bad luck. More so than Crow. <laughs> There's too much dust in it. <laughs> That'd be really dangerous. <laughs> Actually, now that you say that, that tells me that 
this gives me an idea that Jacques is going to get Ironwood's two council seats back so that he has triple the power. Um, or somebody's going to provide a vote of no confidence in having him be the supreme leader, but that's a different movie reference. <laughs> I, so I think that Jacques is going to override everybody's authority, find Amity Arena, and similarly to my prediction a couple of episodes, weaponize it. Oh, God. Oh, that's terrible. Well, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, can we just, I, I do want to point out that Jacques immediately, when the lights came back on, the results came up, and Penny's standing there in front of all those dead and very injured people, uh, that Jacques, you know, it immediately cut to Jacques giving his acceptance speech and victory speech. How much you want to bet that if we cut to a wide shot of that party, that there'd be like maybe 12 <laughs> people there? And he'd be like, it was the largest victory party that was ever in the history of Atlas. You don't know. You weren't there. Yeah, because no one was there. I don't question it. <laughs> there were millions of people there. <laughs> he said so. That's kind of where we leave things is everybody's injured. The happy huntresses have... Uh, are not so happy right now. No, opposite of that. Um, there is more mistrust towards the Aesops uh, and to Ironwood than there has ever been. And Grimm are officially running rampant through the entire area. And poor Marrow, even though he protests and says, hey, this wasn't us, it is kind of irrelevant because uh, they've got a long night ahead of him, as, as he put it at the end of the episode. And Penny is on her way back to Atlas, whether or not she'll actually make it there before getting hacked again. Who even knows? Um, so things, we leave this episode off in a pretty dire place. And um, yeah, what does this mean for the rest of the, the season? What does this mean for our characters? How do we feel about the way this episode ended? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. Well, for one, I don't think Penny's going back to Atlas. I think she's going home to dad. Or she's going out into the streets to try to help fight off Grimm because she's the protector of Mantle and that's what she does. Like, one of the two, I don't think she's going back somewhere to lay low. That's, That's not who she is. I do really appreciate that the last shot of this episode was... Grim flying through the streets, close up on the Grim, while still hearing Jacques' acceptance speech echoing in the background. Like, that was perfect. Horrifying, but perfect. I'm... I really want next episode to open with, like, Grim getting into the dance club or Grim getting into the movie theater. Like, just, like, almost land shark sort of situational comedy. (laughs) Except it's actually terrible. But yeah, this is uh, this is going to be bad. It's going to be a really long night. It's going to be a really ugly aftermath the next morning. And it's going to be a really long four year. What? <laughs> I think that for me, the main thing about how this episode ended is the Grimm coming in and attacking the city is very much how it felt at the time. That's uh, just emo- like if there was an emotional manifestation of how I felt at the- when the election happened, Grimm attacking the city is a great analog. Um, anyway, how about you, Stacy? Yeah, this ending, I mean, it was absolutely beautifully done. Like just capturing the horror of what was happening with the like joyful acceptance speech going on in the background. You're right, Megan. This is this is exactly how I felt too. Mm-hmm. 
this was the manifestation of how dire things feel. And I think it was perfectly encapsulated. And knowing we just have a long uphill battle now and having to stand up and face it, uh, this is one of the most intense endings to an episode I think we've gotten overall. Yeah, and the season's far from over. Uh, How about you, Mark? Despite the season being far from over, I think, or I wonder instead, I wonder if the next two episodes are the before the storm. We have one night at the club and one night at the movie theater, and we have wonderful experiences or not so wonderful experiences between all of our characters, and each episode ends with, boom, the aftermath. And then the subsequent pickup after those two episodes will be dealing with this however long it takes. And it may take, the, maybe not the rest of the season, but depending on how they end the season. And I know we have, we have a lot more. It, I, I think that this storyline and this particular evening could go on and, and it could be sort of a feeling of... Yeah, this type of feeling it does go on. It doesn't just end and it doesn't it doesn't stop. It's sort of a thing that everybody's been dealing with day to day, but the night felt like it was forever. Going off of what everybody else was saying about it. Um in terms of the analog, but I wonder if Penny can attract Grim just by her nature and by her design. So I wonder if she then becomes a magnet or a beacon for lack of a better term. Um, and I, I really, I, I, I hope that we get some good feelings soon. Cause it's going to be pretty dire at least for a while. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think, you know, I, I keep talking about the opening of this season. I think that the, positive thing that's going to get us through these dark times both in the show and in the real world is with the people that we love um you know believing in love and with the support of the people who care about you and who you care about in return that's what's ultimately going to get us through the night and um you know again talking about how they've uh rooster teeth has taken this very real world thing that has rocked our country to its core and taken taken that and make made it a deliberate plot point i i feel like you know this is kind of their way of working through it too and uh <laughs> and, <laughs> and taking us all with them <laughs> well no because like this is all like more of like we're all in this together like i i don't know whether or not if things had gone differently in 2016 if we'd be seeing you know jacques running for council or whatever and like i i don't know if these same story beats would be the way ruby was playing out ultimately i don't think it necessarily matters um because i think where we're going is you know ultimately still I feel like the message is the same in that, you know, that same hopeful inspiration in the realm of 
overwhelming defeat. It's just sort of the route that we're taking to get there. Um, And I also don't necessarily think it's coincidence that we have a group called the Aesops in this volume either because Aesops fables were all about trying to impart a lesson. And I feel like, you know, for people who are like, oh, why'd they have to bring, bring politics into this? Why does this, why do we have to be talking about politics right now? It's because stories are and always have been a way of conveying messages. And like I said, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Aesops are here because I feel like this volume has a very specific moral it wants to teach the world. So I don't know. Do we? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of me just on my little soapbox here. Um, do we have any thoughts uh, or feelings about the, the way this episode played out or details we might have skipped over a little bit? Anything else we want to talk about? Uh, let's start with Katie. Nah, I'm still in the leave me here to die corner, so uh, we'll see how next week goes. Is that the where the bar is located at in Conspiracy Corner? That's where the bar used to be. No! No, 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 no. The bar has moved. The bar does not like the sadness. Oh. The leave me here to die corner is not a happy corner. Oh. It's under the stairs. That's what happens when you fall out of the love loft. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Stacy, how about you? I'm going to just be trying to climb back into the love loft and stay there instead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a spiral staircase. Do be careful. Better than staying down there. Being sad all week. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> how about you, Mark? I'm bolted to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did want to bring up two things that were uh said in response or one thing that was in response to last week's video uh, video wow we're, that's where we still are um last week's episode i kind of said as a joke that i thought cobalt's uh representation was of this blue i'm blue um <laughs> but it uh, supposedly ivory and cobalt are the uh, the sweater meme where some people see it as white and gold and some people see it as black and and blue they're the dress yeah the the dress wait for real? Supposedly, that's what it is. That's the best thing I've heard all week. Okay, but that makes sense because one's trumpet player and one's Nyan Cat. Yeah, it's 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 me. It's the meme team. They're memes. Did that meme exist back in season three, or do we not care about that? Nah, it existed a fair number of years ago. Gonna have to look that up. Either Hold way, on. so there's I'm, that. I'm gonna look it up now. Good, because we'll need a break after this sad thing. Other folks have brought up that some of the dead and injured at the party were some of the moms from uh, from the crosswalk. And whether it's a, a an on-purpose thing of go- utilizing these characters in this way to further this story and then possibly playing into Jean not being so shining of a knight or if they were just models that they were using is yet to be seen, and I guess we'll find out next episode. Ah! Yeah, how's that corner there, Katie? It's fucking great, man. It's just, it's perfect. There's shadows. There's a little blanket. I'm crying a lot, so there's a box of tissues, but it's almost out because this is a drama. It's just, it's hard. I actually, 
actually really love that as like an additional personal thing for Jean. It's a uh, nice little fuck you, isn't it? In terms of like personal stakes, I find that interesting. Mark, uh, apparently the dress photograph that became a viral internet sensation on the 26th of February of 2015. That was that was the year it happened. Uh, oh, so what volume okay. were we talking about at the beginning of 2015? It was season three. It was season three. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. It was the end of 2015. So, so that would have been yeah, funky fresh. That would attract. That would attract. Ah, uh, well, yeah, uh, yep, 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 yeah. Especially considering the breakneck pace. At, <coughs> sorry. Especially considering the breakneck pace at which the first few volumes were made. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've gotten to the bottom of that mystery. <laughs> the only other thing I want to say is that, like. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about like our feelings and how this episode wrecked us and reliving all of those 2016 election memories is kind of devastating in a lot of way. If it was devastating for you, you know, don't be afraid of taking care of yourself. Like, uh, we, we joke, but like in the love loft, I do have like, uh, blankets and, uh, cups of tea and other, other sort of cozy things. It's like, it's like a little B and B up there. Um, so guys don't hesitate to take care of yourself because the world is dark and full of terror and we're nowhere near through the end of the woods just yet. And so it's important to continue fighting for what's right and it's important to continue looking on the bright side of things and never never ceasing to strive for that better world but also acknowledge that sometimes you need to take care of yourself too before you can get back into the fight so self-care is super super important so definitely take care of yourself and never stop fighting the good fight. All right, let's go ahead and wrap it up on then. Mark, where can people go if they want to find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Bidonica. There's a lot going on in my world right now. And uh, come come follow along. And also, uh, if you want to tag me or any of us in your Rooster Team theories or your Ruby theories or whatever achievement hunter whatever any sort of stuff just make sure to follow me follow us um check out our t public ch- and, and follow megan will do the full thing but just uh, don't don't be a stranger especially coming up in the holidays if if you need somebody to talk to sort of following along following along what uh, she just said uh, join our discord we have people there 24 7 because they're list- they're tuning in from all around the world and we appreciate your listenership and we we can be here for you too if you need somebody to talk to well said. Stacy. I'm Stacy Shuttleworth. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles. I usually talk about cosplay projects I'm working on, but please come yell theories at me while I pretend to work on cosplay. Uh, always down to chat about Ruby or anything else that's crossing your mind. Katie. I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos for Ruby, for other Rooster Teeth properties, for a myriad of things, they all live on that YouTube channel. 
And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-A-N. I don't know why I almost forgot my own handle. <laughs> um, uh, I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where me and Katie talk about horror things. And I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost where my co-host Will Link loves Lost and I don't. We discuss. Um, be sure to follow the whole team here at the Rooster Team. Join our Discord. Uh, information will be in the description below. Um, yeah, find ways to connect with us. Uh, you know, I'm sure with the holiday that there are plenty of tea public sales, ways to support us, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, again, we just we want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. Thank you for listening. Um, and yeah, you guys are the best. So thank you guys so, so much for listening. This has been Ruby Redux, and it's time to say goodbye. <laughs>